Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And of which, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If, then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this gift of your gospel. Grant us, O Lord God, the knowledge of your divine words, and fill us with the understanding of your holy gospel and the riches of your divine gifts and the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Enable us with joy to keep your holy commandments and accomplish them and fulfill your will and to be accounted worthy of the blessing and the mercies that are from you now and at all times. Amen. Please be seated. Are you afraid? I hope not now. I hope you're not afraid of what I'm going to say. But there are things in life that frighten you, aren't there? I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> you know, you get me up uh, in a high place and it's just, uh, it, it might be irrational, but I am. I'm just afraid of heights and perhaps some of you have similar fears. I'm afraid every Friday morning before my clarinet lesson. So maybe some of you kids can, can uh, are, uh, identify with that. Maybe you're afraid before an exam or, or before a class period. Uh, You know, this world is a frightening place, and anyone who denies it is just not paying attention. Last month, a millionaire businessman in Ukraine was killed in his own home when a Russian missile hit it. And here was a man who was not not in battle. He was at home, minding his own business, in his own house, far from the war, a man wealthy enough to buy security for himself, and he was killed by a missile. 
it's very unlikely that you will be hit by a missile, but there are all kinds of dangers, aren't there? I mean, there, there are bad drivers out there on the roads um, and all kinds of things that can, that can cause trouble for us. And then our, there are our relationships. And who, which of us don't worry about our children? Some of us might be afraid that our spouse will do something stupid and put us at risk. Yeah, this world is a dangerous place. And if you're not afraid at times, then you probably aren't thinking clearly. Well, you think I'm being gloomy? Is, is this any way to begin a sermon? Some of you are thinking, I come to church for encouragement not to be reminded of my troubles. Well, Jesus knows that this world is a frightening place, and Jesus is not afraid to talk about it. Jesus knew it was hard for his audience to get a good meal every day. Jesus knew that clothing was expensive. Now, those particular concerns don't bother most of us here today, I suppose, but they are representative of the kind of daily concerns that all people face in every time and place. Jesus wasn't being gloomy or discouraging. Jesus is acknowledging our condition. Jesus is recognizing, yeah, there are things out there that are hard and and even frightening. These things are real, and they won't disappear or they won't be solved by ignoring them, by pretending they don't exist, by just simply putting on a, a, a happy face. And we are struggling to navigate these problems as we make our way through life, (laughs) and Jesus is here to help. And that's what this gospel passage is about. Now, Jesus began to address our fears by saying, do not be anxious. Now, right away, some people are going to think, oh, good. Jesus is going to get us through this. Other people are going to think, are you kidding? Don't you you know what we're facing, Jesus? Jesus. Well, Jesus immediately continued by demonstrating that he does, in fact, know what we're facing. He acknowledged the daily worries of those in the crowd. But then he said this, that life is more than food. The things that worry us are real. They're not to be dismissed. But there are higher priorities than those things. Jesus is going to return to this idea in a bit. But first, he shows us in tangible ways why we shouldn't be anxious even about these lesser priorities. So look around you, you who are so worried about the things of this world. We share this city with all sorts of creatures, rabbits and squirrels, foxes and skunks, various birds. Now, Allentown is not littered with dead animals. These animals are doing okay. They're alive. And and, uh, how, how do you think they get their food? Where do they find shelter from predators? Isn't it obvious that God is taking care of these creatures? Have you noticed that the gladioluses are blooming these days? Well, how do you think that happened? Do you think that just poof, it it happened without any any cause at all? No, God is at work in in providing for the things that even these plants need. And if God never neglects the plants and animals but provides for their needs, don't you think that he will provide for all of your needs? Well, of course he will. And so we really can relax. Well, I read somewhere that worry is bringing tomorrow's challenges into today. And Jesus said elsewhere that today's challenges are sufficient for today. So we can relax. That doesn't mean doing nothing, however. I mean, we do have today's challenges. We do have things to do. Now, we, we, we are to keep busy with the... Um, the obligations that are put in front of us, but we can do those things cheerfully. We can do them without anxiety because we know that God 
will take care of the things that we truly need. Now, Jesus says that it's foolish and a foolish waste of time and energy to worry about our daily needs. Gas prices are skyrocketing. And the stock market is tanking. Relax. Jesus will make sure that your needs are met. Maybe you'll have to take a vacation closer to home this year. It's okay. <laughs> you, you think everything will be, will be fine. Jesus is going to take care of us. <clears throat> but instead, what really should interest, interest us is Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to establish his kingdom. And Luke has been demonstrating this from the beginning. Jesus came preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Jesus' miracles were setting people free from enslavement to the kingdom of this world. What is really important and exciting about life is the opportunity to work with Jesus in building his kingdom. Jesus is saying, come on, folks, I'm taking care of all your earthly needs. Let's do the fun, important work of the kingdom together. Work? I thought you said Jesus wants us to relax. And we've heard many times that salvation is by grace apart from works. And David, you have reminded us many times that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, are you saying that, if we, that we have to work for our salvation and that if we don't, God will condemn us? Well, notice in verse 22 that Jesus is not addressing the crowds here. Jesus is addressing his disciples. These were men who were busy fishing, tax collecting, and pursuing the affairs of this life. Jesus sought them. He went looking for them. He called them. He made them part of his company. This is salvation by grace. They didn't volunteer to serve Jesus. It wasn't their idea that they needed Jesus. Jesus took the initiative to go find them and bring them into his kingdom. And this is how salvation works. It's how it works for everybody. All people are caught up in the interests of this world. And Jesus goes looking for those whom he has chosen. Jesus calls them to follow and gives them faith to trust in him and welcomes them into his kingdom. This is salvation by grace. And this is your story if you are a Christian. You were not born an innocent baby. You were born with the sin of Adam woven into your nature. You had no interest in Jesus, but Jesus came looking for you. Jesus gave you parents and friends, preachers and teachers to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel and gave you faith to believe in him. And now you are with millions of other Christians in Jesus' kingdom. Does this sound too good to be true? What's the catch? Where is the point where we learn what we have, how much we have to do to enter Jesus' kingdom? What is Jesus really after? Well, of course the gospel is too good to be true. The gospel is always too good to be true. That's why it's the gospel. It's too good to be true. The gospel is always too good to be true, and that's one reason so many people scoff at it, but the truth is that the gospel is true. Elsewhere in Scripture, God tells us the reason for the gospel, that God loves us. The reason that Jesus came into the world in the first place and the reason that Jesus seeks people today is because he loves them. Jesus gives us faith. And he gives us a new mind and a new heart because our old mind and our old heart were killing us. Jesus loves us and wants us to have eternal life. And Jesus wants us to be with him. And that's what eternal life is, life with the Father and the Son. 
Are you, you afraid that this might be true of some people, but not for you? Or that Jesus might help you a little, but that you are such a mess that he would never want you in his kingdom? So Jesus concludes this paragraph by saying, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah, whatever we're like, God is, and, and it's not reluctant. God is not reluctantly giving us the kingdom, but it's his pleasure to give the kingdom to all the people that he's chosen. Fear not. This is good news for you. You're not going to be giving the scrapings of the kingdom banquet. You are part of the kingdom. You get a seat at the table with Jesus. You know how you go to a wedding and uh, you know they, they, they have tables all scattered all throughout the, the banquet hall and the, the, the important people get to sit at the table with the bride and the groom, the bridesmaids and the, and the groomsmen and so forth. You know, um, The rest of us don't. You know, we have to sit uh, far back at the end of the line, right? Uh, and uh, you know, it takes us 45 minutes to get our food, but then it's all cold, right? No, you know, the picture here, folks, is that you're sitting at the table with Jesus. That's what it means that we, are, we have been given his kingdom. Jesus calls his followers a little flock. We're not some random bystanders. We're God's sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. And that calls up the image of God's provision and protection that he displays in the 23rd Psalm. All the blessings and privileges of God's kingdom are ours. Jesus began this teaching by encouraging his followers that there was no need for anxiety about daily needs or the future And he ends this paragraph by urging us to abandon our fears. Not only are our daily needs covered, but we're part of a divine kingdom. But wait, did you notice what it said precisely? Did you take careful note of that verse? Jesus doesn't say that it's the God's, the Father's pleasure that we enter the kingdom. He said that it's the Father's pleasure that we be given the kingdom. What he says is greater, far, far greater God gives us his kingdom. He gives his kingdom to the followers of Jesus. Christians don't just simply walk in. Christians own it. Now, what could that mean? Well, Jesus doesn't explain in this passage how we own the kingdom. The apostles unpacked that in their letters. The central idea is that Christians are united with Jesus, and Jesus inherits the kingdom as the firstborn son. Joined to Jesus, all that is true of him is true of us as well. But here, in this passage, Jesus addresses the implications of possessing the kingdom. Now, Ruth and I own a house. It's nothing lavish, but it's nice for us, and we like it. Our house serves us very well. There's room on the third floor for my office. There's room on the first floor for office space for Ruth. There's room outside for a a garden, as many of you have experienced Since I own our house, I have the privilege of doing what I wish with it. We wanted a first floor bathroom, so we turned a closet into a bathroom. I can open all the windows and doors to let the breeze blow through. I can make coffee all day without anybody complaining about the cost of electricity. I can water the garden without worrying that someone might mind. I can enjoy sitting on the porch and reading in the evening. We have a comfortable life in our house. But owning a house also carries with it responsibilities. Front yard began to look ragged, and so someone had to work on it. Well, no one was going to work on it. No one was going to re-landscape the front yard unless the owner did it. One morning, Benjamin came down, or came up, from the basement, 
uh, one morning as over Christmas when he was visiting, and uh, he dashed upstairs to announce that there was a water leak in the basement. Well, Benjamin didn't fix it, and it's not because Benjamin is lazy. It just it wasn't his responsibility. It wasn't his job. That was the responsibility of the owner. So I patched the leak until Jason could come and repair it. <laughs> and this month, a hefty tax bill is due. And guess who's going to pay the tax bill? The owner. <laughs> Nobody else is going to pay the tax bill. We own the kingdom. We get the astonishing benefits of this kingdom, one of which is eternal life, but we also have responsibilities. Take the needy, for example. Who is going to take care of those who don't have enough food to eat or clothing to wear? What about those who are sick and need help? How will the children and elderly be cared for? Who will comfort the bereaved and encourage the lonely? So immediately after Jesus tells us that God is giving us the kingdom, he tells us to sell our possessions and give to the needy. He mentions financial need, but again, that's a representation of all sorts of needs. You can see an ethical principle at work here. Jesus will meet our basic needs, so we're called to meet the basic needs of others. And since Jesus meets our basic needs, we have the resources to help others. But that's not the point. Jesus didn't come to teach ethics. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom is not like any you have known. The kingdoms of this world are founded to serve the powerful, and they operate by force and by fear. Jesus' kingdom is founded to serve the weak and rejects force and fear. Now, if you want something, the standard way to get it is through force or fear. Vladimir Putin wants Ukraine, and he intends to take it by force. China wants Taiwan and is trying to take it by injecting fear into Taiwan and our allies. But there is no fear in Jesus' kingdom because it doesn't operate by force. Jesus will not force his followers to act responsibly, so we have nothing to fear. We can run recklessly through the house doing whatever we want. Jesus is not going to smack us down, but reality will. If the householder doesn't fix the plumbing, soon he'll have no water and the house will get ruined by the leak. If he doesn't secure the property, thieves will steal his goods. If the householder doesn't give attention to the grounds, the once pleasant property will become dismally ugly. Jesus loves us, will always love us. Jesus will not whip us into shape, but Jesus does urge us to act responsibly to act like you actually own this kingdom, to act like an owner. And that's consistent with our new status. <clears throat> and, the, and, when we, and by doing so, it will make the, our kingdom a pleasant place. And free from fear, we can take on responsibilities without fear of failure. Jesus' kingdom is one in which its members can try all sorts of things and have a glorious time in the process. Some projects might succeed. Some might, and some others might not. In hindsight, some projects might appear a bit immature, but we can learn from those things and move on. We might attempt something and discover that we don't have the gifts or resources to do them. Okay, noted. Then we can try something else. And, and as we go, God will use us to build his kingdom on earth, particularly to care for the needy. 
But God will not punish us for trying, even if the results are unsatisfying. Brothers and sisters, our salvation is far more glorious than we ordinarily imagine. God has done far more for us than pay for our sins, as monumental as that is. Jesus has called us to work with him in his kingdom. Think of it. We get to work side by side with Jesus. Jesus and you, together, building a family, rearing children, teaching schools, designing bridges, building houses, preaching the gospel, saving the lost. We, we can't do anything apart from Jesus, but Jesus has chosen to do his work in this world with us. Jesus and we are partners in saving the lost and building his kingdom. Now, isn't that exciting? But it's even better. This kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, is also our kingdom. We aren't mere servants in the kingdom. We're owners, or to use another metaphor, we're sons and heirs of the kingdom. Because we're united to Christ, who is the firstborn son and heir, we also are sons and heirs. And so God says to us, fear not. This kingdom, it's yours. Enjoy it. Work in it. Take care of it. And if that sounds like drudgery, remember that Jesus is your partner. Jesus will do the heavy lifting. You get to lend a hand while Jesus does the hard work. And after a hard day's work, we get to recline at the table with Jesus while he serves us. Now, isn't that good news? Have we chased away the gloom? Or are you thinking, no thanks, I'll just take my salvation and enjoy it without all this work and responsibility? Well, okay, you can say that, but Jesus will get to you eventually. Jesus will not force you, but sooner or later you will wake up and realize what a fool you have been. Even then, Jesus will not condemn you. Jesus will welcome you to work alongside him. Jesus will give you good and fulfilling tasks because there will always be a place for you at Jesus' table. So now you are the proud owner of a glorious kingdom. So what will you do next? Two things. First, keep doing what you've been doing. Jesus is building a kingdom through your labors. Jesus doesn't often call people to abandon their jobs and families and homes. He's done that, but only a few times. For every Abraham, there are millions of Jobs who serve God in the community and in the vocation where he has put them. However, you can be more conscious of fulfilling your responsibility as kingdom-building activities. You can offer these activities to God by praying for his blessing, asking God to use you, serve him in new and surprising ways in your daily activities. Going out for the mail, you might notice God giving you an opportunity to talk with your neighbor who perhaps needs someone to talk to. Perhaps you can include a needy person in your lunch break. Jesus is building his kingdom through your daily work, and he will use you in the midst of your present activities. Secondly, what special service can you offer in the kingdom? Now, some of you are already serving as deacons, some in music, some are teaching Sunday school, and very well, that's, that's wonderful. But there are always more opportunities for service. Simply as an example, I think we could use a few more people to sign up for the coffee hour before church. <clears throat> and this is not a desperate need, but it does serve a purpose 
in the life of our church, and it doesn't require special talents. Um, there are instructions about how to make the coffee, and you pick up a dozen donuts on the way in. <clears throat> is this something you could do? More challenging is managing the prayer list. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes things are slow to be added or even slower to be removed after the prayers have been answered and the requests have been granted. Um, you know, it would be good to have someone sort of to keep an eye on that thing and sort of to keep, keep us up, more up to date with it. And you know what? That's not the job of the pastor. The pastor shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. Any, somebody else can do that. And so it would be good for someone to give attention to that. But when Jesus offered an example of kingdom responsibility, he chose the needy. Some of us are struggling with hurts and needs. Some of us need someone to share, visit us and share our burdens. And this is hard. What do you say to someone who is hurting? Most of us have not been trained as counselors. Some of us feel tongue-tied. Some of us feel tongue-tied a lot of the time, uh, and especially in situations like this. The important thing to remember is that Jesus is your partner. Jesus will do the heavy lifting. He will go with you into awkward conversations and difficult relationships. You may not have much to say, but Jesus may use your presence to powerfully minister to a hurting person. You think you can trust him to do that? And then there is the topic which elicits fear in many Christians, evangelism. Much fear about evangelism is misplaced, sometimes by unbalanced teachings. And most of us are not called to be evangelists, but can't you invite people to church? Can you trust Jesus to use you somehow in the life of the unbelievers that you know? Well, you know, in organizations, studies have shown that 20% of the people typically do 80% of the work. And that seems to be true everywhere, including in the church. And if you fall into the 80% who are not much involved, this is not a rebuke, but an invitation. God has given you his kingdom, and he offers you an important role in it. So don't ignore God, but offer yourself to join him in his work. Well, are you scared now? Does caring for some needy person intimidate you? Do unbelievers frighten you? Well, you know, if you set out to minister to some lonely person or someone who is poor or sick or someone who is needy but ornery, it could be difficult and exhausting. Most unbelievers are pleasant people, but some are difficult. And to this, Jesus says, fear not. He who has given you this kingdom will not abandon you to drudgery or failure. Running a kingdom is a lot of work, but working with Jesus is enjoyable. Jesus will do the heavy lifting. We get the pleasure of pitching in and seeing our efforts yield big results. And even as you labor in this life, you are reaping rewards in heaven. An eternal treasure, which will never be stolen by thieves, or devalued by inflation, or eaten away by insects. And then we will enjoy a great feast served by Jesus himself. God has given you a kingdom. Jesus calls you to work with him in it and will never condemn you for your efforts. We have this privilege now and the promise of a glorious future. Do you believe that? It's too good to be true, isn't it? But this is the word of Jesus. Does Jesus tell the truth? Do you trust him?
Jesus promises to serve us at the great banquet in eternity. And as proof that that promise is true, he provides an appetizer. Jesus is here today with bread to strengthen us for the work and wine to make our hearts glad. Today we feast on earth so that someday we may feast in heaven. And in the great mystery of the Eucharist, Jesus himself enters and fills us as we eat and drink so that as we leave here in the presence and power of the Spirit of Almighty God to fulfill his will. Jesus is here, so fear not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a fearful people. We are deeply comforted to know that you understand us and do not condemn us for our fears. But you are our Father, Jesus is our brother, and the Spirit is our helper, so there is nothing to fear. Banish our fears, dear God. Inspire us to work in your kingdom. Energize us to serve the poor and needy. Teach us to work joyfully with Jesus as he saves the world. Send us into the world in the power of the Spirit, in the love of God, with the gospel of salvation. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.